All right, so the Rangers are in their stretch run right now, really in the postseason right now, because every game is a big game for them. And uh, over these last uh, 13 games or so, it looks like they're going to need to win at least eight of them. They're going to need to play a tougher brand of hockey, and really they're going to need to appear on the guy's site who I'm about to talk to today, and, and that's uh, David Singer, the founder, the creator, the one-man show of HockeyFights.com, joins me today to talk to, uh, to, talk to me about uh, pretty much you know, how his site got built from scratch to the point where it is today, used around the hockey world, a universal tool for everyone, uh, sort of a baseball reference type site for hockey fans. David, how's it going today? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and you know when I when I started thinking about having you on and talking about this and, and the way that HockeyFights.com sort of impacted my life and and uh, the, the lives of my friends who who I grew up playing hockey with, and uh, it seems like it's something that at some point during the week I get an email with you know a link you got to watch this, you got to check out you know what happened whether it was in a Rangers game, another NHL game, a junior hockey game, an AHL game. Um, you know, you, you guys have it all, and it just seems like you know it, it's it's impacted my life greatly as a hockey fan, and it sort of has become that tool, that baseball reference type tool, where you you, you don't know what people would do if they didn't have it. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, you know, it's what I always wanted it to be was um, a reference, uh, a lookup tool. Um, you know, it, a lot of it started from when I was going to games. Or, or even just watching games, talking to friends, and, and we're trying to remember what happened the week before, the year before. Um, it, it was always easy to look up penalty minutes, and sometimes you could find majors if you really wanted to. But uh, one of the main things I was after was, you know, who fought who, and um, documenting it. And, you know, it started off fairly basic um, way back when, in the, in the late 90s. And, um, it, in fact, it, it even, it didn't even start out as its own website. It was just part of, little part of a personal website I had back then. And it just snowballed and became its own thing. And eventually I was covering everything from the NHL, not just the New York teams. And, uh, after that, uh, just, you know, a few years later, suddenly covering the NHL, the ECHL, the junior teams, um, and the NHL lockout of 0405 really helped um, give me some breathing room and you know figure out how to do uh, and cover all these other leagues. And of course, by then it, it had a good community. Uh, found some great uh, guys who were, who were volunteering and helping out because you know I can only cover so much. So I cover all of the NHL. Uh, I love it. I watch as much as I can. Uh, but obviously I can't do the same for all of the other leagues. And, and there are just some guys who are passionate about uh, everything out there. And, and, you know, some guys love the AHL. Other guys love, uh, you know, the Quebec Junior League. And you, you're always finding something. And um, it was just built up little by little. And, and now it's the sort of the monster that it's become. Uh, and and it, I think it's easier to do when you just do it a little bit of, uh, at a time. I make the uh, the comparison to baseball reference only because I always thought it was amazing how someone took the time at some point to catalog these box scores where you could go back and find out uh, Reggie Jackson playing against uh, you know Boston in 1979 in August and find out the situation in the seventh inning and what happened and it's sort of become like that with hockey fights to the point where you know I, I wrote this uh, my annual NHL All Animosity team where I make a starting lineup of uh, the players I dislike the most or have haunted the Rangers the most over the years and uh, I was talking about me 
Milan Lucic and how his fighting has gone down over the last few years from his rookie season in uh, 06, 07, or 07, 08, rather. And, uh, you know, I had to look up when is, you know, how many fights he's had this year, and it's five, and I wouldn't have known that otherwise. And, uh, you know, it's just become that tool. And, I, I mean, you must get this all the time that, you know, people rely heavily on this uh, to do research, even men- mainstream media people who do research at a, at a national television or national radio level. Yeah, it, it- it, it honestly it is a lot of fun to hear the site get mentioned during a broadcast or, or seen in an article um, where it, it could be about anything. It could be about the background of the player. It could actually be about fighting. Usually it's not, though. It's usually just in there. Uh, during a broadcast, though, they might uh, have made some statistic from the stats that I have that I didn't even think of. Um you know, player uh, the team's record when a certain player fights, or uh, uh, you know, you know, some sort of streak that I didn't pick up on, and, and it's a lot of fun to see. Um, admittedly, you know, when I was first starting to do this, it, it was a love of hockey. Um, I loved putting together websites, so it was really just a combination of interests uh, of putting the data together. Uh, if the NHL and other sports sites weren't doing such a good job of, of the rest of it, of goals and assists and whatnot, I probably would have tried to do it all. But there really wasn't a need for that at that point, and, and the information wasn't really out there anyway. It's not like it, it is now with the uh, uh, very comprehensive box scores, and you, you could do advanced stats. You, you weren't able to do that when I first started, uh, but you were able to at least pick apart these fights and uh, catalog them, and, and you needed a human element to it. That was what the differentiator was. You could always, you know, say who homered off of who. Uh, the the pitcher and the batter are always listed. But when you have five or six or seven guys, or and not that it's normally an odd number, picking up a fighting major all at the same time, you need a human eyeball to say, okay, this this player fought this other player, and uh, and. And, you know, trigger our memories correctly. And is it important? Uh, you know, you could debate that, but it was a lot of fun. And, um, and one of my favorite parts of the game, uh, and really the part of the game that wasn't being covered as well as anything else. So, uh, you know, I just I went with it. When I look back in my childhood, um, I, I remember in probably around 91, 92, 93, sometime around there. I was five, six, seven years old. And uh, my parents got me for Christmas, Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockey Part 2. And that <laughs> became a VHS that I watched, you know, tens of dozens of times a week. Um, you know, I'd watch it, rewind it, watch it again. And that was really the only way back then to get highlights. And, you know, watching Stefan Riche go end to end and watching fights for 10 minutes to weird techno music uh, from the early <laughs> 90s. And, you know... It's weird to think that there was a time when the only way you could watch hockey fights was either to be at the game, see it live, see it live on TV, or have a Don Cherry video or, or some form of uh, VHS, and uh, you know you'd have to tape a game or something like that. And it just seems ridiculous that you couldn't just you know after uh, Daniel Carcillo uh, you know fights Matt Carpenter, you can't just type in your phone hockey fights and see it within minutes after the game ends. Uh, I think you really helped out everyone with that. <laughs> Thank you. It, it, you know, there was um, this, this niche community, and it was in the back of papers, especially something like the Hockey News, where uh, you, were, you were trading VHS tapes. Um, a lot of guys were selling them, but a, a lot of people were also trading them. And what you would do is you would record your local team, and you would try and make your own highlight tape. And then you would take that highlight tape, uh, 
you know, dupe it and, and send it to somebody else for theirs. And it was difficult to see everything um, and accumulate uh, all, all the footage that there was out there. Um, but eventually, you know, you, you'd sort of get around to it. And uh, what is interesting is when I started out, um, even with the site, I mean, that's how old the site is, that most fights were still on VHS tape. It was still the easiest way to do things. There was this awkward DVD period that was mostly just VHS tapes transferred to DVD. Uh, some people were trying to record directly onto them, but it was never uh, as easy for most people. I went to digital as quickly as possible, but um, it was still standard def. I mean, even looking at that is pretty amazing. And, um, you know, now everything's just all digital, HD. Uh, as you mentioned, I try and, you know, get all the footage up as quickly as I can. Um, you know, sometimes it would take a day or so, sometimes a few, before I could get somebody to, to help me out. Uh, now it's a lot easier where I'm able to actually cover it all myself uh, and a half for a few years. But, um, you know, back in the day, uh, some people would still send me tapes or DVDs days later, just one single fight on it so I could uh, add it to the website. Um, I still have hundreds of DVDs, um, not to sort through, a lot of them are actually cataloged, but to get through and, and, and post, I mean, we have thousands upon thousands uh, up on the website, but there's still just as many more to, to add. And, um, you know, it's, it's a time consuming process, but uh, it's still fun to do. And I think the craziest part of it all is that if you don't know that David Singer is HockeyFights.com, you'd think that, you know, the league was split up by either regions or time zones, or you had, you know, some guys do this division, some guys do this division, but it's just <laughs> you doing all the games. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> some nights it feels like a job. I will not lie. But um, most of the time, it's, it's still a lot of fun. And as I mentioned, I, I get I get a lot of help with the other leagues, and, and those guys... Um, they help keep me going too because they're they're pretty passionate about some of like the mid tier leagues or the junior leagues and and you wouldn't think that somebody would love that stuff so much but they do and and uh, I wish I got to see more of it. Um, I'm I'm in New York as well and um, it could be you know hard to to find uh, that footage uh, back in the day. It's a lot easier now. Everything's online, but you know growing up. I had the three local teams and, um, you know, whatever was on national TV and that was it. So I didn't get exposed to a lot of minor junior league hockey and, until I was uh, really uh, basically in college. And it, that was only because I went to Buffalo where, you know, I had uh, TV stations from uh, both sides of the border and I uh, was really able to expand um, – uh, the, the type of hockey I was watching. Well, on a given night, uh, in the NHL tonight, there's four games, which, uh, you know, for you, it must seem like a relief. For other hockey fans, you know, it's sort of a letdown. <laughs> there's only four games. There's not really anyone, uh, you know, who I need to scoreboard watch tonight for the Rangers' sake. But for you, only four games must be a relatively easy night. What's the, the process, uh, you know, for a night, or especially on a, a, a day like a Saturday where there could be 12 or 13 games? What's the process from the time you start to the time you finish? And do you have... 10 TVs going, you have Game Center up, I mean, I'm checking box scores. <laughs> how, how does it work? Um, the, the most intense thing I, I do besides flipping between usually just two games at a time, I, I usually don't take on more than that, 
is uh, box score watching. Um, I try and have my Twitter feed open, but it flies by so fast. Um, but people are pretty good about hitting me up about big things that would happen that maybe I'll miss. So a brawl or a knockout or something like that. Somebody's going to ping me pretty fast nowadays. Um, I used to have to hunt that down either via box score or highlight or something like that. And, and then, you know, I, I DVR every game. Uh, it's pretty simplistic. Um, and then just, you know, uh, bring it up and, and record it. But um, usually I'm watching a couple at a time. And uh, honestly, I get a late start a lot of nights. Uh, I'm a commuter, so I'm usually not home by 7 o'clock, but shortly thereafter if I can. Uh, weekends can be hard. Uh, I've got a couple of kids, and if they're day games and night games, I'm probably not watching hockey all day, but in between everything else I have to do, uh, definitely. Uh, and, and, you know, Hockey Night in Canada is always a fun watch. Um, usually some of the New York teams are going on, too. So uh, that's probably the, the most common Saturday night thing during the season is flipping between uh, New York team and uh, whatever the Hockey Night in Canada game of the week is. I had pictured you sort of in, in this, you know, massive room behind a huge desk with like a Vegas sports book look with like 15 TVs <laughs> on the wall going at once and like three computer monitors. I, I You know what? I <laughs> I had a lot of screens going at one point. I've, I've slimmed down. I'm a one-screen kind of guy now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, if, but, you know, there's there's so many easy ways to keep track of things now where it wasn't before. Not that something like Twitter is uh, easy or even uh, something that you can definitely rely upon, but it's a much different form of communication than we had six or seven years ago. And, um, you know, people are pretty active on there and, and they like to chat back and forth with you or, or let you know what's going on. So it, I'm not saying it's it's easy, but... Uh, technology has made it a little easier than it used to be. Um, but, of course, it just means that usually you find more things that you want to do, um, you know, ways to expand on statistics or coverage or whatever it may be. And um, that that usually is uh, when I'm not actually creating, uh, let's say, a new clip or, or logging a fight is, is what I'm thinking of. You know, how am I going to... Uh, enhance the site next year uh, in terms of content. I'm always thinking of technology. To, in fact, I hope to flip a switch at the end of the season and uh, do a complete revamp of the site. But um, beyond that, there's just there's simple content. You know, who's who's not doing something? Is it, is it hockey reference? Is it HockeyDB or NHL.com or all the other sites where you probably you know, do some sort of deep dive into, into statistics. Um, you know, what can I still cover that uh, nobody else is, whether it's uh, fighting related or not. It almost seems like when you mention hockey DVD, hockey reference, it seems like everyone is, is on the right track, but there's not that one, you know, one stop place where you can get everything. So each site is missing a little something, whether it's, you know, hockey DB search engines, a little tricky or hockey reference has a, you know, they could get you the scores and schedules of games 15 years ago, but there's no box scores for them. It seems like you, while it's, you know, a niche thing and it's just fighting, but it seems like you have it, you know, most down pat where it's a real system and something that people can rely on rather than the other sites, which, you know, are used more towards for production and stat purposes, but but they can't be relied on as easily. Well, I, I think everything has its its 
you know, core value. So I think depending on what you're looking for, there's probably something you can rely on in every site. I would love to just expand that core of what I'm doing. Um, and, and usually it's stats based. So, you know, one of the things that is tucked underneath uh, the website is every uh, game the NHL has ever played, box scores for a lot of them that aren't surfaced. But how do I bring that forth in something other than just, uh, you know, spitting text out onto the screen? How do I make it really useful? How do I tie all of that information together and, uh, and then fact check it, which is really the hardest thing to do? Um, because the stats from, let's say, even something as recent as 20 years ago, when they add up goals and assists and you add up everything in the box scores, everything doesn't always match up. And if you were to release that, you know, relying on, on just the box scores and not the, the totals that you see, you have to find a difference. You have to be the one to make the correction. So, um, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot that's still left to be done in, uh, in the hockey stats world. And, um, you know, hope to take a step towards it. But um, in, in the meantime, though, there's still so much to do just, just in my little niche of the market that, uh, you know, I, I'm still just going to focus on that for a little while. Well, with the way fighting's going and the way it's sort of declined over, really since even the late 90s, early 2000s, it's gone down so much, and now they're creating new rules to sort of get it to the point where it's very picky and choosy. I mean, you must go days, or at least there must be a couple stretches where, you know, you spend the day searching that DVR, looking through box scores, and it's just a drought of fighting. Yeah, you know, we just had one um, at the end of last week where... You know, I went a couple of days, and there were actually just no fights for, for I think, two days in a row, which sounds like nothing. You know, it's just a couple of days. But that is a lot when you think about how many games are played. Statistically, something is going to happen. Um, you know, people who don't follow it think that there are a lot of fights. There actually never, there, there never really have been for, for quite some time. Most of the time you go to a game, chances are you will not see a fight. And it has dropped off a bit, but, um, you know, just 10 years ago, especially right after the, the first uh, season-wiping lockout of 0405, fighting was really, it took a big dive. And um, it was two seasons that were really slow, and then it picked back up again. And that was thanks to rules changes and personnel changes. And You know, last year we had the lockout, and it didn't take an enormous hit, uh, but we're seeing rules changes again and you know players adapt to those things and a lot of these players have seen these rules already in the AHL or at least some of them have and as the players just get a little older and uh, and more players come up from the AHL and other players uh, step out of the game you'll see probably things pick up a bit it's always been cyclical and uh, I think it'll continue to be probably never going to spike again like it used to in the 90s, but um, you know, I, I don't think this is the beginning of a long tail-off unless they make uh, further rules, which uh, I'm not counting out either. 
Well, you mentioned how most people are not real hockey fans just assume that there'll be a fight at a game or they expect that there's way more fighting than there really is and, and there really isn't anymore. And I think that's because, you know, when you go to a game, not only do you need the, the right people to not be healthy scratches, you need them on the ice at the same time, at the beginning of their shift, the score has to be right, the time and the period has to be right. It's like you need a perfect storm nowadays for a fight to happen. And even <laughs> then, one still might happen, not happen. And uh, I, I think, it, you know, you can attribute it to the fact that uh, the way – you know, not just hockey, but sports across the board now are, are really you know focused upon uh, value and and how each roster spot holds so much value that you don't see these guys really making a living anymore with just one skill, and that one skill is to you know play two or three minutes a game, get six shifts, and have a fight. And uh, I think really that's the whole the whole downfall is that you just don't have these guys who can only fight anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, but I also think that overall, it's a, I think it's a good thing for the game. Um, but I think it's also a sort of like a changing of the guard where clearly there's an age difference between the typical enforcers and then the young guys who can also fight. Uh, there aren't a lot of young enforcers coming into the league. And I think they, they sort of stay within their circle, uh, for the most part. And I think as the players all age together, um, I think they'll find each other a little more. But, you know, hockey, just like every sport, became extremely specialized. I mean, everyone had a thing, and just one thing. And it could be fighting, it could be uh, you're a face-off guy, you could be a penalty killer now, uh, or at least right after, um, you know, 0405 again. Not to, man, I'm harping back on that year, huh? Uh, <laughs> but, but that you know, that, that's, that's when they introduced a shootout. And then suddenly you got, you know, UC Jokinen, who wasn't seeing any time, but... They had to keep him on the bench uh, just for the shootout, and, uh, and inevitably he became a better player as well, um, given the opportunity, and it's a shame some of the tough guys weren't given the same, but uh, I think you're now seeing a, a combination of specialties. So now you, you can't just do one thing anymore to, rely, uh, to, to remain on a roster. You have to pick up two, three, four things. Um, every season, it seems like at the trade deadline, Zenon Kanapka, who's generally leading the league in penalty minutes and is known as just a, a, a fighter, is, is trade bait, and it's because he's a good faceoff guy. And uh, you know, other players bring other things now, especially the, the younger crew. And and I think for for hockey remaining the the game that it is, the uh, the tough physical game that it is, I think that's a good thing because. Otherwise, you'd really just be phasing out all of the tough guys. And now the tough guys are learning to play again. It feels more, you know, more like the game um, that you might have been watching early on, um, except you know, a thousand times faster. And uh, and it really, I think the future of it will probably depend on um, any further rule changes. So really, what the league wants to do with this aspect of the game. And of course, just random chance. And by that, I mean, you know, freak injuries. If, um, if there are none, you know, I don't think you'll see a ton of changes. Inevitably there, there might be one, but, um, it's been a long time. So it's not something I, I, you know, I'd like to count on or think about though. 
Well, with these rule changes, they come about, you know, whether it's when they implemented instigating or getting an instigator in the final minutes of the game or the jersey tie-downs, and now more players have visors, and now there's the, the mandatory visor rule and keeping your helmet on during a fight. It sort of seems like, you know, they want it in the game, but they also don't at the same time. And, you know, for someone who relies on these fights to run HockeyFights.com, you know, when you, when they announce uh, new rule changes, as they have recently in, you know, the last couple seasons here, and maybe there'll be more in the future, you know, are you against the, the, the changes that come, and are, are you fearful of you know the fact that maybe eventually the, the fighting won't exist at all? Um, you know, some of the rules I'm, I'm fine with. Uh, I don't think they needed to make visors mandatory. I thought that that was happening on its own anyway. Um, you know, every year more players are wearing visors. Uh, I didn't think they, they actually needed to regulate that. Um, helmets remaining on during a fight... That's a tough one. Uh, I get what they what, what they mean by it, like why they wanted the rule. I don't necessarily think it has the effect that they want. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, like I get the freak chance that somebody could hit their head on the ice, but you know, I've been watching this for a long time, and um, for the amount of players that would actually take their helmets off, I don't think it would have. It's going to have the impact that they wanted it to have. In the end, it feels like they want to be able to stand on the bench and, and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down of when it's okay to fight. And, and you know, frankly, even now, like, coaches do that where they didn't used to do that before. I mean, that's another thing that's come into play um, where, where coaches have such a tight grip on the game that you see a player look back at the bench to make sure it's okay he can fight. Uh, and that just didn't happen 15, 20 years ago. Um and, you know, there are these other further rules changes that are sort of there to dissuade what players to put out on the ice at certain moments, like you mentioned, uh, you know, the end of the game and somebody picking up a, an instigator and getting automatically suspended. Um, I'm really not a fan of those sorts of rules because I don't think that the league should be dictating to the coaches who's allowed on, out on the ice at, at a certain time. Either they're a legitimate player or they're not, and there really shouldn't be an in-between. And, um, you know, so that, that sort of thing I, I find grating. Um, but in, until they outlaw it, uh, it's not gone. And even when they outlaw it, it's not gone. Um, it, hockey is the game it is. Uh, you know, people like to say, well, there aren't fights in baseball. And I'm like, well, do you watch baseball? <laughs> Uh, you know, and it's not the same thing, obviously, but it's also not the same sport. It doesn't lend itself to having that same confrontation as many times as it does in hockey. So uh, these other leagues that supposedly don't have fighting still have fighting, and some of them are nasty. Um, you know, people like to use college as an example, but generally I ask you, know, do you actually watch college hockey? Some of that's the nastiest hockey I've ever seen. And some of it's great, too. Um, but usually it, it's sort of like college football, how the talent disparity within the game itself you know, lends itself to, to making great plays and breakaways. And, and I think a lot of the great moments in college hockey come from that. But I think it's a dirty game. Um, I think the European game can be at times, but some of those leagues are all softening up on fighting, which is sort of ironic um, that they, they used to all be the example of well, look what you can do, but, you know, look at the direction they're heading in. They're sort of 
outside of one or two of them, they're they're softening up on the rules uh, surrounding it, and they're taking a lot of the former NHLers over there. Well, I think when when it comes to things like line brawls or, or something chaotic, uh, bench clearing brawls, and you know everyone loves them, and I, <laughs> I don't think there's any way around it. And those are the things that that end up on the highlights, whether it's you know with your Islanders a few years ago and the Penguins, or an incident that happened this year with uh, Sean Thornton and Brooks Orpik and that disaster again with the Penguins and this time the Bruins, or what happened with Tortorella and the Canucks recently as well. You know, are those things that when you hear about them, whether or, or you're flipping through the games and you see this or you're learning about this, you know, do you're eyes light up and you're just like oh my god this is great is this is a traffic uh, dream or or you know are, are you just a fan or, or do you think you know instantly you know this is good for the website or are you just happy to see it because you're a fan of fighting and a fan of hockey um usually it's context but honestly usually the context lends itself to the situation what i mean by that is you know when the rangers and devils started off a game with three fights at once you know like that mini line brawl that was just fun that was good that was a rivalry game and it was a great start to it. Uh, another Tortorella start. Who, you know, I'm sure he's furious about that too. Somehow he keeps being involved in it. But you know, when I watched that, when I watched the the Canucks and the Flames go at it, it was the same thing. You know, this this is just a this is a rivalry. You know, there was a reason behind it. It might not have been from five seconds before in that game, but um, you know, at that point, I was just enjoying being a fan and watching it. Um, you know, I watch it, and then quickly I think, yeah, I, I better go make a, a video of that. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's rare that uh, one of those I, – I haven't seen something like that happen without um, some good context in, in a long, long time. And um, usually the story behind it is, is good. Uh, it gives me something fun to write about. Um, you know, for people who think, oh, what, you know, why the hell did this just happen out of nowhere? Well – it wasn't out of nowhere. And, you know, let me tell you why. So, um, the, that's usually what's racing through my head at the time. Uh, and yeah, we don't see as many of those as we used to, but, um, when we do, they're still just fun. They're, and most of the time, uh, you know, that's the outcome. It's just, there's just some gloves on the ice, maybe a bruised ego. And, uh, and that's it. And, um, Hopefully they, you know, that's the outcome from uh, from here on out of all of those. And I wouldn't mind seeing a few more either. So I've also put myself in a position, I guess, from, from running the site so long where, uh, you know, I get to pick up a good quote here and there too from the players who are involved. So um, that, you know, that kind of makes it a little more fun as well. Well, if you go back to that, that Bruins-Penguins run from this season where Brooks Orpik uh, runs Louis Erickson like, right in the beginning of the game. He doesn't even have the puck, and I don't even I don't know. Still watching it, how there was no interference penalty called, and then you you couple that with uh, James Neal, um, you know, kneeing Marchand in the head, and and yeah. then and then Thornton chases down Orpik, asks him to go, he won't go, so he ends up jumping him, and and it results in Orpik eventually getting hurt and then suspended. Um, so you know, with the with the way NHL player safety and, and the rules have been developed now, and with Shanahan, a guy who you know probably has a lot of really good videos on your site is the one <laughs> handed down these punishments and it seems like you know he's he's really doing a bad job policing the league and a much worse job than anyone thought he thought he would because he was the guy that could have used a, a player safety guy on the player side when in reality he seems to sort of be against what's going on in the league and really all of his punishments come down as as a result of if there was injury or if there wasn't rather than if the play was really dirty 
So uh, yeah, I, I think I'm I'm mostly with you there. Probably eighty ninety percent. I I will say that I feel a little bad for him in, in that he's in a tough spot. Um, he's in between the league, the media, and the fans, and every side and, and the players too. And each side seems to want something different out of him. And, and I get how it's it's difficult to balance. But one thing that I can't move away from, and it's something that you said is that the suspensions seem to be based upon uh, the, the injury uh, and the outcome of what happened and not what sometimes is a very clear intention. So, I mean, you, you picked a very easy one for me, and that is, um, you know, Thornton and Orpic. I, I still don't understand how, you know, how Orpic got hurt like he did, um, but, you know, he did. And, and, and I guess Thornton needs to be punished. But James Neal... And that knee to the head looked so vicious. And I know Neil got suspended, but it just didn't seem to wait the same as Thornton's. You know, like it put it, putting those two things against each other, not knowing what the outcomes were. If you were to just watch each play and cut it off right away, I think a lot of people probably would have given Neil the greater suspension. Um, but... You know, it, it doesn't end that way. And, um, and and he's pressured by a lot of people to do a lot of things. Um, and it's a big office, so who knows, you know, how many people are actually uh, involved in that in, in the decision. But um, it, that's the thing that I sometimes just can't move past is sometimes you, you really have to do it based upon it. Even if it's not – you don't want to call it intention – Find a, find a better word, find a better phrase if you don't want to say you know what the player was thinking. You can see by his actions where he put another player's, you know, uh, health in, in jeopardy. And um, and that's where I think it gets really messy and where the track record isn't so good. Um, and you're right, he has a ton of great videos on the site. <laughs> uh, and, and man, even... Some of his non-fight videos, and I, and I wish I had a few more of those. That he, he was not—he he was a power forward and a vicious one at times. So, um, I mean, you could say it gives him good perspective, but um, I, I wish there was a little less—I uh, uh, guess—results-oriented measure involved there. I, I, I wish it was a, a little more about you know the play and not the end of the play. Well, it seems like when Colin Campbell, before he gave that job over to Shanahan, and you know he was just making ridiculous suspension decisions. A lot of them coming from things that Matt Cook did, and you know he wasn't getting suspended at the time, and, and you know ending Mark Savard's career for the most part is one of them. But it seemed like when Shanahan took over, things would be different. Um, it seemed like with him making these videos and explaining outright what the calls were, that they that they'd be helpful and, and better what his decision making was. But in in the end, those videos sort of make a, a joke and a mockery of the whole process because I don't know anyone, you know, I don't know what the, obviously what the next suspension will be with the NHL is, but, you know, if you were to pull five people, they'd all come up with a different idea of what it should be, and then his would probably not even be any of the five answers you were given. It just seems like no one knows what's going to come at any time for any suspension. I, you know, and, and maybe that's why I'm a little, actually a, a little soft on him, uh, perhaps compared to other people, and that's because I don't think the criticism is that much different from when uh, Campbell was doing it. Uh, and, and you know what? He, he didn't put as many goals in the net, but he was still the same kind of player, uh, especially for 
um, maybe not the eighties, but the, the you know the mid seventies when he started, and, and he was coming close to double digit majors every year if if he wasn't hitting them. And you know he he wasn't the cleanest player in the world, and he probably also had good perspective, but um, he didn't seem to be consistent either. And he also seemed to be results oriented, uh, or I guess end of play oriented. I won't say results, but and, and injury focused. And I don't think that does a lot. To actually change play, I mean, because nobody's going out there thinking that they're oh okay I'm going to go hurt this guy. They want to wipe him out, but they're not necessarily looking to you know make him uh, sit up in the uh, uh, you know sit out for 20 games or something like that. So nobody's ever thinking okay well I'm not going to do this because maybe I'll injure him and then maybe I'll get suspended. That's I don't think that's ever going to change play. So I think the only way to do that is to have a really, really rigid set of rules if you're going to, you know, try and dictate the way the game is played by suspension. But I still, it, it doesn't seem to be very effective. And, you know, people will probably retort that with, well, you know, fighting doesn't seem to curb much of that either. But um, I think fighting itself is so curbed that it's pretty hard to. Um, I think that's one of the, the problems with fighting, the state of fighting in the game right now is that you either got to let it go or you don't. And um, I, I wish they would sort of uncuff it a little bit and see if it did have a bigger impact on the game. If you did clean it up, like, you know, a lot of people like to theorize. Because it's not, it can't be a deterrent if you don't let it be. And you're not now. So you're not letting players use it as a deterrent. Uh, mostly because of the instigator rule and now the other handful of minors and, and misconducts that can come along with it. And these suspensions obviously aren't doing a lot for the game because it hasn't cleaned up at all. So, um, you know, where are you at that point? You're just sort of going in circles. Well, the reason I use the the Thornton, Orpik, Neil, Marche, and Erickson situation is because it sort of seems like it's the textbook example of why fighting is needed in the game and why it's needed to police players. Because you know, at the start of the entire thing, you have Orpik, you know, sort of headhunting a goal scoring type player, a guy who's you know not willing to go in the corners, not willing to muck it up, a guy who's not going to fight in Erickson, um, and and then. At the challenge, you have Thornton, the guy on the team whose sole responsibility is to protect players like Erickson, challenging Orpik, and Orpik is unwilling to fight, even though you know he was just out headhunting a minute earlier. So it just seems to me like while it was, you never want to see a player get injured, especially the way that Orpik got injured, and, and thankfully he he came back, he played in the Olympics, he's back with the Penguins. But at the same time, if you're going to commit the actions that he did earlier in the game and then get asked to answer the bell, you have to answer the bell, and and that's why I really, I mean, Thornton, you never want to see a guy you know jump someone in that sense but you know he went about the way he's supposed to do his job the right way and or pick you can't just run around and do whatever you want or you're going to get a college hockey type game yeah, correct and, and you know Thornton's in a tough situation there uh because as you said that's his job that is what he's supposed to be doing and if he doesn't do what he did then he doesn't have a spot on the roster so, uh, you know, people are criticizing him. Well, what is he supposed to do in that situation? Uh, the other part of it is, and, and, and I focus on him because it's, it's easiest for me to get inside his head than anybody else's, I, at least I think, uh, from, from speaking with other players. And I haven't spoken with him about this. But if you didn't have all the other rules surrounding uh, the actions of what you can do right there, let's say you didn't have such a strict 
instigator role. That very first time he probably went over to Orpic, Orpic's either going with him or Thornton's doing something right then and there. He's not letting it build up over the course of this play that, you know, lasted not that much longer, but long enough for play to get even dirtier. You know, that, that Neil knee wouldn't have been flown uh, or thrown if, if things would have ended a, a bit sooner. And, you know, if you even want to go back further, like you said, the original the original play should have been a penalty anyway. But um, this, this is, to me, it, it's a very easy one to pick apart for very obvious reasons. And, um, and I think an example of, you know, why maybe the rules aren't going in the right direction, but uh, I don't think that's over with. I, I still think there's, you know, they can do something about that. They can still modify things and, and maybe not bring the game into an even nastier corner than it's in now. You mentioned, uh, you know, getting inside players' heads and understanding what they're dealing with. And, uh, you know, are there players in the league and, and guys who are mainstays on your site that, that you've discussed fighting with or, or guys that, you know, uh, have comments about the site that are pretty much stars on it? Um, well, yeah, I mean, most of the – I'd say most of the guys who lead, lead the league in fighting majors um, are, are – I can't say if they're mainstays on the site or not. Uh, I know a bunch are, uh, but they're usually around in some form. So as you know, like it seems like every athlete's taken a Twitter, and so many um, are usually commenting on there. Sometimes at me, sometimes at other people. Um, I'd say the most fun is uh, either getting a, a direct comment right after the game, or even better, sometimes it's the comment from their teammate. So. <laughs> Um, it, I think it was, uh, you know, thinking back, it was about a month or so ago, um, or I guess it was probably before the, uh, the Olympic break, but, uh, in the Nashville, um, uh, Dallas game and it was, uh, Kevin Klein and, uh, Antoine Roussel. And after the game, one of the first people to tweet me about it was Eric Nystrom. You know, he's just going wild about the fight. <laughs> <laughs> people on to Rated a ten, and I thought that was great. You know, um, yeah, the players who are uh, are in, who are like involved like that, they seem to be just they're fans just as much as we are, as much as they're players. And and I just I think they're a lot of fun to watch. So um, those, those sometimes are the the better quotes, even than the the players who are involved in the fight. Well, with the voting system, I mean, do you ever get guys that are you know? Uh astonished one way or the other about the way that their personal fight was graded oh yeah <laughs> um you know and and especially older players who i think they they take it a little more seriously um you know some somebody who might have retired 15 20 years ago and uh yet who i still won't name because lord knows i don't need them any more angry at me than they already are <laughs> But um, I, I've received a few nasty grams about that. Like, <laughs> what the hell is everybody talking about? And, and you know, the video's right there. Um, but, you know, they, they remember things differently. And um, uh, especially when there was so much time between, you know, fighting, uh, the, the actual fight and then maybe seeing a highlight of it. You know, your, your memory isn't the same as when you can just watch it right after or the next day. And... Um, I think things get a little distorted, or maybe they don't, and they just they don't want to see it the same way as everybody else. 
Um, I get some great notes from uh, brothers and, and dads uh, and, and moms. But, um, and moms. Yeah, and moms. Moms, moms and brothers uh, are probably the most protective. Um, dads, uh, I'll have to say, are, are probably the most uh, lenient. They, they, I think they see what really happens, and, and as long as it's a, um, a, a fair call, or at least uh, close enough to it, they're, they're pretty good about it. And um, and I, but I get a kick out of that. And I never, I probably didn't have the same perspective. I mean, my kids are still really young, but I can kind of see it now. Um, you know, where where everybody's coming from, and uh, you know, people will like hound me on Twitter. You know, some guy will get knocked out, and you know, two percent of uh, five hundred people or something will still vote for him to be the winner. They're like, who did that? His mom? And I'm like, yeah, of course it was his mom. Who else do you think voted for him? It really was his mom. <laughs> uh, but, and what am I going to do? Okay, you know, it's not, uh, it, not going to change the outcome of the game and, uh, or, or change anybody's award status at the end of the year. So, you know, there, there's no reason to not leave a little bit of a fun element inside it. Um, so, you know, I just leave let it be. Well, I hate to end it on a sour note, but I know you know as as a fellow New Yorker, and I know you're well. You're not a fellow Rangers fan, but an Islanders <laughs> fan. Uh, you know, I guess your your state of the Islanders after you know the shortened season playoff appearance last year, it seemed like they were finally going in the right direction, finally ready to get over that hump. And now the setback, uh, you know, with the Tavares injury, uh, with the idiotic decision of the Molson trade, and then what Vanek um, turned into with his trade. You know, what's your what's your take on the state of the Islanders here as this season comes to an end? Uh, right now, uh, it's it's pretty classic Islanders. Um, <laughs> they're bad enough where you know there's no chance that they're making the playoffs, but they're not bad enough where they're probably not going to get one of the top draft picks. So um, and they seem to, outside of Tavares and, and you know way back when with uh, Roberto Luano or Di Pietro, it, it, it's pretty hard to not see that every year. And not get uh, it's pretty hard to see that every year. And not get you know a little down on it, but um, the team showed last year that they still have a lot of promise, and a lot of those players are still here. They couldn't put it together this year, and um, you know they they had one or two spurts of uh, uh, where they showed what they could really do. Um, they had some offensive droughts, but really, I think everybody recognizes their problem was. Uh, shoring up defense, and, um, and, and, you know, maybe they're a little weak in net. I don't know why management thought that instead of maybe winning a game 3-1 to one or 3-2, to two, that instead they would try and win every game 6-5. to five. <laughs> uh, Now, it, it, let, let me tell you, it was fun to watch when they went on their roll and they were scoring 5-7 to seven goals every game, but no team can keep that up. Even the Penguins of the early 90s weren't doing that every, uh, you know, game in and game out. Um, so I'm hoping to see, a, you know, a few changes in the offseason, uh, hopefully around defense, hope maybe, you know, a, a young goaltender that can give it another year. Uh, you can't, you know, wait five years to, to build up this team now, though, because these guys have been around a few years, and eventually you just have to say, all right, we have to go for it now. Uh, they should be in Brooklyn. Uh, maybe it'll give them a new feel. I don't know. Um, 
but I, I think that the, the team still has a lot of promise. Um, and, and they their style of pr- play brought me back a little bit because running the site for so long, it sort of took me out of being a, a fan of a team and more of a fan of players. Uh, but I obviously always had a soft spot for them. And um, over the last few years, uh, it, was, it was just a lot of fun to watch them uh, grow again instead of just, you know, year after year being dreadful. And um, even though this year was a downer, you could still see it. It's still There's still something there. And, um, you know, hopefully next year they can pull it together. It, the league is great when the rivalries that are good have great teams. And I think when the Islanders and the Rangers and the Devils, and this whole, like, northeastern seaboard is great, I think the league thrives. And um, I would love to see that. See, you know, the, the Rangers, the Devils, the Islanders, like, throwing the, like, the Flyers and the Bruins. And you, chances are the league's going to be in really healthy shape at that point. Um, you just have a ton of games you could put on all of the time, and, and you know that they're just going to be solid every night. So they're, they're good now. Uh, the players step up, but it's obviously not the same when, you know, everyone's fighting for a playoff position. That's, like, probably the most optimistic Islanders you've ever heard in a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I try and be that way. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't have uh, a ton of connection to the to the team uh, like I do with some other teams, actually, which is, I, I guess, a, a little ironic. But um, yeah, I think that's what makes it uh, or keeps it fun for me. And, um, and, and I, I didn't go to – and I, I don't get to go to too many games anymore. Um, because usually if there are hockey games being played I, and I actually have the time to watch them, I, I want to watch all of them um, and, and, you know, be able to do my thing uh, if anything happens. But last year I did go to a handful of games uh, for the Islanders and Rangers, and um, then I went to all the playoff games. and It was just, you know, it, it, it was a great reminder of of how much fun it all was. So I think that stayed with me uh, this whole season. And then when the Islanders were posting, you know, enormous amounts of goals, I remember, all right, all right, that's that's how this team was built. And um, even now, it's still a pretty good offensive team. They've just let in what seems like, you know, twice as many goals as every other team. They probably have one of the worst goal differentials in the league. So um, they, if they can just shore up in the back, uh, I think they can really, really make a a big turnaround quicker than any other team that's in their position in the standings. So I know uh, Carolina's a little above them, uh, Ottawa's above them, but uh, I think there's bigger upside on the Islanders with fewer changes. All right, David. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time today and uh, you know to give the insight on, on fighting on the on the website. Really, I mean that that's the most uh, intriguing, interesting part. And uh, hopefully, over these next few weeks, some Rangers appear on there because I don't think they're uh, making the playoffs unless uh, a couple guys end up on HockeyFights.com between now and the middle of April. Well, I, I like the correlation. I like that fighting equals winning. So uh, <laughs> if that's what it takes, then then I'll have um I'll go soft on the Rangers for a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you.